Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. And I am doing a series on Into the Light by Dr. John Lerma. And sometimes I get really excited. It's supposed to be every Sunday, but I will move it into Monday when the chapters are shorter or if I get carried away. So bear with me. Uh, these chapters are different stories of people in hospice care taken care of by a doctor. It's actually written by a hospice doctor which is Dr. John Lerma in Houston, Texas. And some of these stories can be a little dark uh, because it's about hospice care up until death. And some of these stories can also be a little bit heavy religious wise, I've noticed um, as I was reading them out loud. <laughs> so if you get offended easy, or if this is something that's not your thing, not offended, it's not part of the regular podcast, it's a side series. I was reading the book again because I love it so much and decided to read it out loud to all of you. I have a pretty open-minded audience uh, for the most part, and I love the message, some of the messages that this book sends, and I also love some of the feelings that I get reading it, and I wanted to share it with as many people as I could. So I hope that you're enjoying it, and I'm so glad that you're here again, and um, I'll get started because I've got a half an hour before Anchor cuts me off. So. I'm also making these commercial free so that if you are catching up on them all at one time, you don't have to listen to the commercials every two seconds. Okay, so chapter six is called Deep Remorse. William came from Argentina for treatment for his lung cancer at the world-renowned MD Anderson Cancer Institute in Houston, Texas. After three months of intensive treatment, he was transferred to our hospice facility as even the most experimental protocols failed to stop the spread of his aggressive malignancy. Shortly after his admission, his level of cognitive function rapidly declined, leaving him almost comatose and intermittently delirious. During this time, he frequently flailed around on the bed and often spoke in German, screaming for help, saying Hail Hitler and other German army salutations. I wiped the sweat from his brow and touched his arm soothingly. I found it strange that he spoke German, but his wife confirmed that they were born and raised in Berlin, Germany, and fled to Argentina shortly after the beginning of World War II. When we treated the cause of his delirium, which was dehydration, his level of consciousness improved. He began to communicate and asked a multitude of questions, including, where am I? Am I dead? Was I talking about the war? I told him that he was alive and in hospice because his cancer was no longer treatable. What about World War II and Hitler? Did I speak of that time? And was my family present during those times? I told him, yes, in fact, you were speaking German and saying, Hail Hitler. No, your family was not in the room during that time. He instantly started crying and begged me not to tell anyone what I'd heard him say, especially his family. I reassured William that I would keep his secrets and I would never judge anything he never he ever did or said. I reminded him that I was solely there to relieve his physical, emotional, spiritual, and interpersonal pain, and that, if at any time he wanted to discuss his life concerns, that I was there to listen. Over the next week, William and I developed a trusting relationship, and one morning, William chose to disclose that he had been an officer in the SS, Hitler's Army, during World War II, and he had directly witnessed and participated in the extermination of his race. He wept as he told me this, and, and he seemed truly remorseful. He described how he locked Christians and Jews, both young and old, in the showers and turned his back while others trained soldiers pumped cyanide gas through the shower heads. 
He recalled one night when a beautiful Jewish woman stopped before entering the showers and looked him right in the eyes. There was no fear in her face, and the look of true compassion burned into his soul. This vision haunted him for the rest of his life. William's command of his concentration camp was short-lived as he developed a sudden and life-threatening pulmonary disease. He poisoned himself with a small amount of cyanide, hoping that this would make him ill enough to keep him permanently out of the war and away from the atrocities. Never knowing his plan, Hitler's physicians attributed his grave illness to secondary exposure to cyanide gas. Instead of being court-martialed for attempted suicide, he was awarded one of the highest awards for bravery in service to his homeland. With his lungs permanently damaged, William never returned to his command. When I asked him why he joined the SS, he said his work in biochemistry caught the attention of Hitler's elite army, and he was asked to help his country attain freedom from the tyrannical leaders of the world. He respectfully refused, and within hours, several SS soldiers arrested his wife and children. The Nazis had recorded all of the Jews in Germany and discovered that William, a full-blooded German, had married a Jewish woman, and so his children were part Jewish. They made it clear that all the Jews were being arrested for their acts of tyranny against Hitler's Third Reich and be sentenced to death. William explained, I had to save my family. I could not let them die in the way millions of others I heard were dying. How human beings could put me in a place where I had to choose between saving my family or saving someone else's family. This is how Hitler got people to follow his horrific orders. Everyone was choosing to save their families and close off their heart and morals. In just hours, we were transformed from a God-loving family to cold-hearted killers. All I could think of was how much evil I had to commit to do good. William was so lifeless, as he recalled the most horrible event this world had ever witnessed. Given no alternative, he agreed to join the SS, contingent on allowing his family to leave Germany. The Nazi officials agreed and freed his family in exchange for his aid in furthering research in biological warfare. As the war escalated, so did Hitler's call to improve efficiency in the extermination. William, along with other colleagues, was reassigned to concentration camps where multiple biological and genetical experiments were being conducted. Here, he finally saw the scope of Hitler's evil plan and realized the mistake that he had made in deciding to save his family. Other than the use of cyanide gas for extermination and Jews of Christians, William would not discuss research that he had witnessed. I did not press him, but I could not help but wonder if it was something worse than genocide. Dr. Lerma, I made a deal with the devil and I can't take it back. It's too late for me. There's no way I will, I will ever see God. I now know what God meant when he said that those who save lives will lose and those who lose their lives will have everlasting life. He asked me to forgive him and I told him that there was nothing to forgive and that he had not hurt me. And he said, oh, but I have. The angels told me that the whole world was devastated by those terrible events and that everyone who was born after the Holocaust was affected. Okay, William, well, I forgive you, I said. He smiled and he thanked me. He asked me not to let his children know that he had done these things. Not even my wife knew the extent of my involvement. I have borne my shame and guilt in silence until now. I felt deep remorse as he was finally able to unburden his soul to me. He asked me how long it had been comatose, and I told him it had been about 48 hours. He looked shocked and said, that's impossible. I know I was in hell for hundreds of years. I just know it. I assured him that he'd only been two days, and that what he, I, I then wondered, and I'd asked, what did you, you experience? He said, well, I was in a dark cave, shoulder to shoulder, with many other Nazi and Roman shoulders who had been involved in mass killings. 
I could hear their thoughts and feel their anguish, and it mirrored my own guilt and shame. The emotional pain was deep and raw, and it was unending, and it seemed eternal. This was hell, Dr. Lerma. I said, William, how did you finally get out? And he said, you see, Dr. Lerma, there was always this bright light in the distance, and I felt drawn to it, but I was afraid, not knowing what kind of judgment awaited me. I knew that it was the light of God and did not feel worthy to even be seeing it. After what seemed to be years of looking into the light, I finally had enough energy to cry out for help. At once, I noticed the formation of an opening in the distant part of the lifeless cavern. From the small opening, I saw light beings walking past the entrance, back and forth, but never uttering a single word or sound. I assumed that they were the guards that kept all of them from leaving, and I cowered from them, ashamed of who I had been. As I intensely stared at the light beings, I was finally able to obtain eye contact with a female apparition, and astonishingly, there was something familiar about her. Clear blue eyes. They were similar to the eyes of that beautiful Jewish woman that I escorted to the cyanide showers. I screamed out to her, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. William said that she stopped and turned her head to look into the cave, feeling ashamed. He stepped back into the darkness, and she stepped into the darkness. Bright white light replaced it. William's soul was now exposed, but the angel's compassion and unconditional love clothed him. He explained, she spoke in a voice that radiated love to me. I forgave you even before you killed me. She started to walk away again, but I called out, wait, don't go. She stopped and turned to face me and extended her arms towards me. Come with me and I'll help free you from your guilt. I hesitated as I felt I deserved all the guilt. Yet there was something so compelling about her that I slowly moved towards her loving arms. As I stepped out of the cave, I was bathed in a light that filled me with intense love and joy. The energy was so intense that I started to faint. Falling slowly, I saw her fly towards me and catch me with her soft feathered wings. Comfortable now, I began to converse about my life, expressing my sorrow for everything that I had done. I told her I attempted to make amends, but nothing would take the coldness from my heart. She said, you have a choice. You can accept that you lived a life you chose to live and forgive yourself and move on, or you can experience the pain that you caused in order to be released. William, looking sad, told her it would not be easy to be forgiven. I told her I caused great suffering and that I needed to know that suffering in order to release it. She shook her head sadly and said, so be it. In a split second, William said that he entered the minds and bodies of every single Jew and Christian that he killed at the Nazi concentration camp. He felt their pain, their fear, their death, all at the same time. He described being in concentration camp and being killed in a cyanide shower. And at the same time, he was in his own body, turning his back in the showers and walking away. He was screaming for mercy and help as he was ignored and could hear the screams behind him. The people, which he had become, were crying out to him and asking why and begging him not to do it. He remembered how he wanted to help them, but he was so afraid for his family that he just couldn't do it. The conflict within him was painful as the deaths of those he killed. Feeling the pain of thousands of adults and children simultaneously was pure horror, William described. At some point, the woman of light returned and asked William if he was ready to forgive himself, and he said that he was. At that point, all the people that he had killed surrounded him, forgave him, and let him know how happy they were that he had been redeemed. She wrapped him in her arms of light and carried him into the greater light of God. He was bathed in unconditional love. It permeated his entire being and a message filled his cells with the understanding that God had allowed everything that had happened in order to teach humanity to stand up against evil. He was told that because of free will, man was destined to experience darkness and goodness. 
God's plan for the independent soul was to learn to evolve away from hatred, fear, arrogance, and pride, and move towards pure love. The Holocaust was not created by God, but rather by the raw darkness within man and intensified by man. It is up to man with the acknowledgement of God, but not to fear or try to control these events, but to learn that with only God within us can we defeat that darkness. We cannot do it by ourselves. Williams said that this is the biggest lesson. Learn to depend on God and he will use your free will to make the right decisions and save humanity. William revealed to man that we are doomed without God making our decisions. Ultimately, he had agreed to this role as a murderer to help teach this lesson to mankind. The lessons of love and compassion were huge, and hopefully humanity will never again allow this kind of atrocity. All of humanity suffered and grew from the pain of these choices, and all of heaven rejoiced when the lesson was learned and a covenant was made between God and mankind to never allow this again. When a great drama is played out on the earth stage, the whole universe is watching, waiting, and feeling, and integrating the lessons. Someone has to play the villains, but now that phase is over. Learning through suffering is an old paradigm. It is time to embrace our joy and creativity and stop playing the old games and old roles. It is time to forgive ourselves and let it go, just as William had to do. It's time to embrace our divinity and change our purpose from survival to co-creating a better world. The choice is ours. The time is now, William explained. During this experience, William finally came to an understanding that the soul lasts forever and that the body is not important. He really didn't understand that until he was dying. There was no right or wrong in the choices he made. Someone had to die, either his family or the Jewish people. Even if he had allowed his family to die and had given up his own life, the lesson still would have continued. He could not have stopped it. It was bigger than he was. However, now that the lesson had been taught, the whole universe had had the opportunity to choose love and compassion and to give aid to those in distress. William realized they were all one, and what he did to others, he did to himself. After telling me his amazing story over a two-day period, his children arrived from Argentina, and he died peacefully, leaving me to contemplate man's inhumanity to man and to release my own judgments about other people's choices. Doctor's Notes. I learned more about the Holocaust and the war than I ever wanted to know. William said that when the war started, the Germans wanted to take his wife because he looked, she looked Jewish. The Germans kept incredible records, he said, and those records included racial profiling. During the war, the Nazis inquired a physical of most people. The physical examination consisted of body measurements, nasal length, head circumference, distance from eye to eye, height, weight, chest, waist, and genital proportions. German physicians were given a chart of measurements for Jews, Russians, French, and so forth, and they were determined which race people belonged to under Hitler's reign. Scientists said the Aryan race had a perfected body proportion and that other races were less than perfect. These physical exams enabled the Third Reich to locate Jews and exterminate them. The irony was that Hitler was allegedly partly Jewish. Historians believe he had records of his birthplace destroyed to prevent the truth about his past from being revealed. William said that he chose Argentina after the war and was able to get his family out with some money they'd saved. He said the American government had offered him a job in the area of biogenetics, but he refused as he had learned that many of the German scientists and engineers that received amnesty in America were forced to live in bunkers in the desert and continue military research. It was apparently not much different than the Nazi regime. He was content to move to Argentina and started a pecan farm. Over the years, William prospered and became a noted philanthropist. He continued to live in fear that he would be recognized and prosecuted for his crimes, though. 
He spent his whole life atoning for his past and was never able to exercise the guilt until the angelic woman brought him to the understanding and wisdom. William warned me that the United States had employed many of the scientists who did cloning studies under Hitler experiments and that they were free to continue their work. He said, there is potential danger in that line of research and then that will be in our next life lesson. It will be possible to clone any entity with DNA. In the wrong hands, this technology can be used to clone the worst of creations, including Hitler. I found it very interesting that the angelic woman told William that no angels or other beings can talk to you unless you ask them to. Then I remembered how many of my patients described that spiritual being in the beginning not to speak. They merely smile and appear to be in protective stance. William explained that free will is respected by spiritual entities. They usually wait for us to invite them into our life for assistance. They can only hear our thoughts and will respond to us wondering who they are and what they want. Communication is mainly through extrasensory perception. There are no vocal cords in the spiritual world. Just a thought. I asked William about heaven, and he said that his experience of it reminded him of a beautiful, perfect Austria. I asked if he saw Jesus, Buddha, or Muhammad there. He said that they are all there, but you don't call them by those names. They're just light beings, expressions of God's energy. No one goes by earth names there. There are hierarchies in heaven with angels who are physically bigger and brighter, and there are angels completely opposite of that. Yet no one is more important than the other. I asked about hell, he asked, and he said, didn't you hear my story? He said that what he had been through was hell on earth and that that was enough for him. And I tend to agree with that. It's 17 minutes, almost 18. That was the end of chapter six. I uh, am going to close this up because I don't think that 13 minutes is going to be enough to do the next chapter, but I will begin the next one and I will go ahead and I will make the next one for Monday for you because I know that you're into this at this point and you want to hear the rest of it without having to wait till next Sunday. So I will stop this recording, which should be on Sunday the 9th, and I will do the next one for tomorrow, Monday the 10th. Until then, I hope you have a wonderful morning, afternoon, and good night.